Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. How will your life end? I'm not talking about the details of your death. I'm talking about your spiritual state and your relationship with God and those He has placed around you. What type of person will you and I be when, when our time on earth is over, when God calls us home, if we know Him as Savior? By the way, if you don't know Him as Savior, far more important than how your life will end is where you'll spend eternity. If you don't know Christ as Savior, come to know Him and, and, uh, and know that. But what type of person will we be when our time on earth is over? You know, we don't, we don't get to decide how we die. We're not supposed to, and we're not supposed to decide when we die. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. And, and as believers, the, the, the suicide ought never be a, an option. And, and, and I don't say that to hurt anybody that's been touched by that. I know that can be a deep, deep pain and hurt. But, but that, that is not ours to give or take life. That is God's. So we, 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 we should not, we're not supposed to be, decide how we die or when we die, but we can make des- decisions while we're alive that determine who we are when we die. Again, I didn't ask, how did your life start? Maybe with promise or with great heartache. Maybe you had an amazing upbringing, an amazing home, and, and an amazing childhood, or maybe you had the exact opposite of, of amazing, and, and you had a terrible upbringing. I, I didn't ask how your life started. I I didn't ask how your life has been going recently. Maybe you're living right now on top of the world. You've never been better. You're you're living in great victory. This is just a season of fruitfulness and momentum and excitement. Or maybe you would say, 2021, I I didn't think it'd get any worse than 2020, and 2021's been worse for me than 2020. I don't know where you're at or somewhere in between. Uh, But I didn't ask how your life has been going recently. I asked, how will your life end. Tonight, as we conclude our 19-part series on the life of King Saul and his toxic leadership, we see tonight his final chapter. Last Sunday night, we looked where Saul visited the witch at Endor. You remember that? He couldn't get God to talk to him. Everything he tried, he wasn't having any visions. He wasn't having dreams. There was nobody. He had no spiritual advisors or counselors around him. He couldn't get answers anywhere. So he said, you know what? I'm going to go find a medium. I'm going to go find a a witch. I'm going to go find somebody that deals in the dark arts and see if maybe they can help me and and might give me me a little fortune telling, if you will. And we saw last week that he did that, and the witch at Endor summoned Samuel up from the the realm of the dead. And Samuel's spirit came back, and, and, and Saul got the answer he wanted, but it wasn't the answer he wanted. He got an answer, which is what he wanted, but he didn't get the answer he wanted. Last week we saw that Samuel said to Saul, it's over. Tomorrow you and your sons are going to die in battle. It's done. God has taken away the kingdom and is going to give it to David. Samuel predicts Saul's tragic finish to his life and his kingdom. This evening, I want us to see a message entitled, Dying in Disgrace. Dying in Disgrace, what a, what a sad title. What a sad thought. 
And by the way, Saul's not the only one throughout the course of human history that has died in disgrace, that has died with a mountain. Now, we all have some regrets and some days we wish we could do over and some things we would—there's nobody that lives a life with, with, no, with, with no regrets at all. But there have been people that have died in a mountain of disgrace like King Saul. What a sad thought. What a sad truth. But it didn't start that way with Saul. If you were here about a year ago when we started this series, it's hard to believe it's been about a year. When we started, it was sometime late in 2020, we started Toxic Leadership with King Saul. If you were here when we started, you'll recall that King Saul's story started very differently. It started with great promise. It started with great potential. He was a very gifted, very strong, handsome, tall, well-respected. He had, for lack of a better term, he had it going on. He had everything going for him. It was, this was a guy that was, you looked at him and you said, that guy's going somewhere. That was who King Saul was. He was chosen of the Lord. He was anointed by Samuel. And, and we began our series about a year ago here in 1 Samuel, uh, really 1 Samuel 8, but then the second message came from 1 Samuel 9. I want you to turn there where we started last year, 1 Samuel chapter 9, and I want you to see the beginning of Saul's story once again. 1 Samuel chapter number 9, we're going to look at, oh, I don't know, five or six verses here in this chapter. Follow along. We're going to skip through this chapter and the next, looking at just a couple of verses in each. I want us to see 1 Samuel chapter number 9, verse number 2. Let's, let's uh, read that aloud, shall we? Ready? Begin. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. Basically, again, a physical specimen. This guy walked into a room and you were like, man, that guy, that, that, that's a strong dude. That's a handsome dude. That's this guy. He was very different, physically incredibly gifted. Verse number, skip down to verse number 21, if you will. Chapter 9, verse number 21. And Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? Uh, we could have gone through the whole chapter like we did a, couple, uh, a year ago. For the sake of time, I'm not. You can go back and read this whole passage. But what we see here is the synopsis. Not only was he incredibly physically gifted, sometimes with great giftedness comes a little bit of pride and arrogance. Those that have it going on know that they have it going on, and they treat others accordingly. That was not Saul's story. Saul was an unbelievably humble man at the beginning. He, he, he says here, who am I? I'm nobody. Why are you talking to me like this? My family, I'm nobody. My family's nobody. I don't deserve this. You'll recall he went, he was going into town. He was supposed to meet Samuel. Samuel said, come eat with us. I'm not worthy to do that. I, I, I shouldn't be eating with the prophet. I shouldn't be eating with those in positions of power. An extremely gifted man, uh, extremely humble man. Chapter 10, look at chapter 10, verse number 6. Notice this, and the Spirit of the Lord, Samuel's telling him, will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. God has amazing plans for you, Saul. And let it be, when these signs are coming to thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. What a great testimony. Physically gifted. Humble, great spirit. God's Spirit's upon him. God's blessing. God has plans for him. What great potential. Look at verse number 24, if you will. Chapter 10, verse 24. 
And Samuel said to all the people, see, Saul has been anointed king, see him whom the Lord hath chosen. Look at this, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Verse 26, and Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. So we have this man that everybody says, he's the guy. What an amazing guy. What a bright future for our country. What a leader. What what a blessing. God has chosen him. God has turned him into another man. God's given him his spirit and his power and his blessing. God has put in verse 27 a group of men around him whose, whose hearts God had touched. He's surrounded with a great team of leaders. And the The future for Saul's life, for his leadership, for his kingdom is unbelievably bright. And over the last year, we've looked at the twists and turns of Saul's life and leadership. And I want us to see the last chapter of the story, literally the last chapter of this book. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter number 31. So a humble man, chosen of God, blessed by godly authorities with a bright future, surrounded by wonderful relationships. So how does it all end? How does it all end? Chapter 31, verse number one. Now the Philistines, they'd already won a victory over the Philistines. Remember David and Goliath? But they're back. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. His boys are killed in battle. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. So you see it here. His people are running for their lives. His soldiers have been overtaken. A great military defeat. People are running. They're slain. Bodies strewn everywhere. Blood. There's been a great defeat. His boys have been killed, and now Saul has been hit by an arrow. But he's not dead. It's not a mortal wound at this point. He's been hit by an arrow. And verse number four, then said Saul unto his armor bearer, draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. He said, you know what? I'm not making it back home with this wound. Go ahead and kill me. I'd rather die with dignity under my own control at least than for them to come and to mutilate my body and to to do different things. So do that. And he said, no, I can't do that. You're the king. And so notice what it says. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they that were on the other side Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. They came and lived in the Israelites' homes. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain. They came to, to get the clothes and the armor and the swords and the, and the bows and the, the, the jewelry and the weaponry off of these dead soldiers' bodies. It says they came in the morning to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And look, that which he didn't want to happen, happened, verse 9. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor 
and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. What a disgraceful ending. This one with unbelievable potential. And how does it end? It ends with him committing suicide next to his armor bearer. His sons have died. He died basically alone in battle. Israel was made a mockery by their enemies. And Saul is remembered in dis- for the disgrace in which he had led and died. For a Jew not to receive a proper burial was, was a, very, uh, a very big thing, a great shame. It was sacrilegious. And so Saul now, his head has been cut off, and they're carrying Saul's head from place to place, showing, look what we did to that, the, those, those God-fearers, those God were God's people. Look at this. And, and God's own name was was mocked. They took and fastened his armor to one spot. There's the armor that was going to protect Saul, but he's no match for us. And then they took his body and they fastened it to the wall. They took his head to these places where they worshiped idols. And the one who had been chosen and anointed by God was mocked in these houses where idols were worshiped. What disgrace. How did this happen? He started so well and yet ended so badly. I'd like to suggest to you, and we could look at some of the things, obviously pride had to do with it, a lack of, of, of spiritual discernment, uh, 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 getting lifted up in his own pride, anger, all of the things we've talked about over the last year, but I, I'd like to suggest to you, Saul didn't consider the direction that his decisions would take him. When he was king and everything was going well, he didn't think about, well, if I do this, if I rush in and I decide to do a sacrifice because Samuel's a little late, what's God going to think about that? It's just what made sense in the moment. Samuel's late. I need an answer. I need God's blessing. Let me take matters into my own hands. When, when, when they started singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands, he didn't think about the fact that, hey, this is great for us. It just made him mad. I, I deserve more praise than David. And he didn't think about where his pride would lead him, but his pride would lead him on this never-ending manhunt trying to kill this shepherd boy, David, that God had anointed to be king. He didn't think about the direction his decisions would take him. Around the time that I graduated from high school, I read a powerful book that was only a, maybe seven, eight, nine years old at the time. It was entitled The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody in here read this book before? Good number of you. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This book, uh, since it was written and, and after I had read it some time later, it was named the number one most influential business book of the 21st century. It sold more than 40 million copies and been translated in over 40 languages. After I read it, I ended up reading a few other books that Covey had written on first things first and some time management things. And then I read one right before I got married entitled The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families and some really good principles of wisdom. Uh, I remember reading The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, and I've given that to some teenagers, especially back when I first read it early on. I don't even know if it's still in print now, but, but some good principle truths. And really, it's, it's, he's a Mormon. It's not written from a Christian perspective, but they're biblical principles. And, and it's amazing how we, we find, we'll read sometimes these leadership books and, man, that's such great stuff. And really, it's just principles that we would find in the Bible that God's Word teaches us. But it's interesting, the seven habits of highly effective people, his first habit that he says is be proactive, which is basically what I preached this morning. 
Don't put off what God's telling you to do. See what God's telling you to do and go and do it and, and get to work on it. Don't put that off. Do what God's calling you to do. Be, that's habit number one. Habit number two, and I remember when I read this as probably either right out of high school or maybe my senior year, my freshman year of college. I don't remember exactly when, but I remember it really helped me to see things in a different perspective. Habit number two, he said, he said, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. And if I remember right, it's been about 20-some years since I read it. If I remember right, I think uh, Mr. Covey, who's, who's now dead, I think he talks about the fact you should imagine your own funeral. You should think about the fact that you're laying there, and what do those who know you best, what are they going to say about you? What are they going to remember about you? What type of person were you? What type of life did you live? He said, because when we, when we begin with the end in mind, it changes the way that we live at the beginning and in the middle and, and all the way along when we stop and think, okay, in this role in my life, where do I want to end up? Where does God want me to end up? When I'm thinking about that, it changes my perspective and my decisions begin with the end in mind. If you haven't read that book, I'd recommend it. Great principles for life. But again, he says we should start by understanding how we want to finish and then do the things and be the person that will lead to that finish. I believe that Paul understood. I don't think Covey came up with this principle. I, I believe that Paul talked about this principle a couple thousand years before. What did Paul say? He said, uh, not as though I'd already attained, and he said, I, I haven't arrived. I'm not where I want to be. He said, but forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the what? I know where I'm trying to go. I want to end in here, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to hit the mark. I have a target I'm shooting for in my life, leadership, and ministry, Paul said. I want to hit the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What was Paul saying? I've, since I got saved, I've begun with the end in mind. Every day I wake up, and he said, I'm, I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. I've begun. I'm not just thinking about what feels good today. If he had, he would not have gone on his three missionary journeys. He wouldn't have, after he got whipped or, or stoned or beaten or imprisoned the first time, ministry would have been over. But Paul could endure those things. What did he say? But none of these things move me so that I might finish my course with joy. What is Paul saying? None of these things, the things that don't feel good today, none of them move me. Why? Because I began with the end in mind. Uh, that I might finish my course. I know how I want to finish, Paul said. By the way, did Paul finish in the way that he wanted to finish? Yes or no? Sure he did. Timothy, what did he tell Timothy? The time of my departure is at hand. Uh, I'm ready to be offered. What did he say? I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. Isn't that what he said? Paul said, I began with a target and I hit it. Now, Paul wasn't without regrets. Paul wasn't without disappointments in himself. Paul wasn't without mistakes. Paul said it over and over again, chiefest of sinners, the stuff I want to do, I don't do. The stuff I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Uh, Paul was not perfect along the journey, but that vision in his life kept him from dying in disgrace. In fact, I would say he died an honorable Christian death and received the crown of righteousness, as the Bible tells us. Paul did this. So that affected how he treated enemies and loved ones, how he walked through pain and tragedy. May I say this? If you live today focused on yesterday, 
You'll either be lifted up in pride for all that you've accomplished or cast down in condemnation and regret for all that you didn't accomplish. If you live today focused on yesterday, you're going to get lifted up in pride or cast down in condemnation. If you live today focused on today, you're going to make decisions for what feels good in the moment and what pleases your flesh right now. But if you live today focused on tomorrow, you'll make decisions based on what is pleasing to God and what is profitable to your future self. When it's time to make a big purchase, if you're thinking only about what feels good today, it may be a very different decision than if you're thinking about what is best for my personal finances a decade from now or 20 years from now. How do marriages suffer through adultery? One spouse at least fails to look ahead to the pain, the regret, the guilt, the shame, the heartbreak, the tears that that decision will lead to. How does a pastor or ministry leader end up losing his ministry because of embezzlement? He doesn't begin with the end in mind. It just looks, I think I can get away with this and this will make my life a little easier today, but he never thinks about what my life look like tomorrow because of today's decision. How does an 18-year-old high school graduate become a 40 or 50 or 60-year-old drifter who's never been able to find meaning or purpose? Daily, short-sighted, fleshly decisions rather than looking ahead and doing the things that it takes to become who God would have them to be. How does someone end up deep in debt declaring bankruptcy? And I know that sometimes there are situations and circumstances beyond our control, but often, almost always, it is by making short, unwise, short-term decisions to buy what they want, whether they should or not. They'd rather have the nice car today or buy the house they can't afford today instead of the used car or the smaller house that they can, not considering where those financial decisions will lead them in the years to come. How does an unwed teen couple end up expecting a baby? They think only about today and not about where those decisions will lead them tomorrow. How does someone find himself or herself addicted to alcohol or drugs or pornography or any other destructive addiction thinking about today rather than beginning with the end in mind? Today's pleasure over tomorrow's regret. Today's enjoyment over tomorrow's struggle with addiction. Today's good feelings over tomorrow's feelings of shame and guilt and conviction. What did Solomon say about the wise man in Proverbs? He says, the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. The simple pass on and are punished. It's the idea of we're on a journey and a wise person doesn't just kind of, oh, shoot the breeze and talk. The wise person looks ahead and says, is there any danger up there? The prudent man foreseeth the evil, thinks about where his decisions are leading him, thinks about where her choices are leading her, thinks about those financial choices, those relational choices, those spiritual choices, those, those choices in dating, in marriage, in child rearing, thinks about those choices, those choices in budget, in schedule, looks ahead and says, these choices are going to lead me there. The prudent man foreseeth, he looks ahead, the evil, and hideth himself. The simple pass on and are punished. They just keep walking. They don't ever look ahead to see where their steps are taking them until it's too late and they've hurt themselves. How did Saul end up dying in disgrace on the battlefield with his headless body mutilated and fastened to a wall for everyone to walk by and jeer and mock? Little decisions to get lifted up in pride. He didn't start that way. Chapter 9. Who am I? I'm nobody. My family's nobody. 
But a little successes along the way allowed him to begin to believe his own press. I'm somebody. I'm important here. This is my kingdom. No, Saul, this is God's kingdom. These are my people. No, Saul, those are God's people. This is my plan. No, Saul, it's God's plan. Little decisions to get lifted up in pride. Little decisions to act out of jealousy toward David when he didn't deserve that at all. Little decisions to belittle his son Jonathan. Little decisions to offer a burnt offering like he was a priest because Samuel took too long to get there. Little decisions to lie. Little decisions to hide, to to try to deceive Samuel. Little decisions to not listen to godly leadership and godly authorities and godly counsel in his life, thinking he knew better. Little decisions along the way to to fail to obey completely in destroying the Amalekites. God told them to utterly destroy the Amalekites. If you read 2 Samuel chapter number 1, you'll see there's a, a guy that comes with Samuel's crown and with his, I think his sword, if I remember right, and he brings it to David. And, and he was the one that came and got, he may have been the one that cut Saul's head off. He doesn't admit to that because he doesn't want David to be in trouble with David. It may have been him. But we do know he was there early enough that he got possession of the king's crown. You know what he was? He was an Amalekite. Saul said, I don't want them to mutilate my body. You know who took his own possessions? The ones that he decided to not fully destroy as God had told him to. Incomplete obedience. He thought he knew better than God and God's plan and godly counselors in his life. Teenager, begin with the end in mind. Where are your decisions today going to lead you a year from now, 5, 10, 20? What direction are you headed spiritually and personally and relationally in, in work ethic and in character and in, in, in appetites and in, in, in habits, in budgeting and in scheduling? How, where are those decisions? We, we, all of us kind of think, I can do all of this stuff, and then somewhere, some way, I'm going to get some magical fairy dust, and the, my fairy godmother's going to come and just say, poof, and it's all going to get fixed, and all my bad habits are going to go away. We talked about that some this morning. That's not how it works at all in our lives. Teenager, begin with the end in mind. College student, as you sign up for classes. Begin with the end in mind. Don't just look at how hard the homework is or how boring the project is. Realize the profit that will come from the knowledge and experience you can gain as you do the hard work to get that. Young couple, begin with the end in mind in dating and when you're establishing your marriage. Where are these habits of our commitment to God and the things of God? Where are they leading our children and grandchildren that haven't even been born yet? Begin with the end in mind. New parents, begin with the end in mind. What priorities are you modeling? What truths are you teaching? What characteristics are you instructing? What type of child are you seeking to raise? New employee, begin with the end in mind. Pastor, begin with the end in mind. Where do you want to be? And do you want to see the church 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now? More importantly than where do I want it to be? Where does God want it to be? And are our daily decisions leading us down that road? I'm not sure if this quote is grammatically correct, but I think it's true nonetheless. You will be who you have been becoming. I said this to our seniors in our life skills class on Friday. The decision, what do I mean by that? The decisions you're making tomorrow will determine your opportunities and who you are. I'm sorry, the decisions you're making today will determine your opportunities and who you become tomorrow. You will be who you have been becoming. Is that, is that grammatically correct? I don't think so. I'm not sure. We might say, I think all of us would probably say, I want to be a kind, generous, hardworking person, but every day I choose to be selfish, lazy, and critical, day after day. 
guess what? I'm not going to just magically end up as a kind, uh, a generous, hardworking person. If every day I make decisions that feed my flesh, and every day I take the easiest path, and every day I wake up at the last possible minute, and every day I do the least asked of me at work, and every day I, I'm, I'm the least generous I have to be to help somebody or to give, I'm not just going to magically turn into a kind, generous, hardworking person because I say, one day I want to be a kind, generous. You know how people die as kind, generous, hardworking people? They start becoming kind, generous, hardworking children. And then they learn a little bit more about being kind, generous, hardworking teens. And then sometimes they're selfish, because we all are at times, right? And sometimes they're lazy, and they realize, that's not who I want to be. And so they get into college, and they say, you know what? I'm really going to kind of get serious about this thing. I'm going to be try to do better. I was kind of a punk in high school. I, that was my story. Kind of a punk in high school. I'm going to try to be a little bit more of a kind, generous, hardworking college student. And you know what? I wasn't perfect there. But now as, as God's leading me into my 20s, I'm going to try to be a kind, generous, hardworking 20-something. And 30-something, you don't end up as a—and there are some kind, generous—I could look around and start naming name after name—sweet, godly people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. They may not have always been that, but they didn't become that yesterday. God began to do a work in their hearts somewhere along the way, and they're going to end their lives when God sees fit as that person because they became that along the way. I want to run a marathon but I refuse to spend any time walking or jogging or getting on a treadmill. Am I going to run a marathon? Talk to me. Yes or no? Absolutely not. And that's, that's the right answer to that question. That's also the right answer to the question, am I ever going to run a marathon? Absolutely not. <laughs> Kevin, have you run a marathon? 26 miles? I drove that one time. I drove a whole marathon one time. <laughs> 26.2. And uh, you have to be a little strange to want to run a marathon. And so, I don't want to do that, but how many of you have run a marathon? Let me just see in here. You've run a marathon. A few of you, four, five, six of you. The rest of us, how many of us are lazy like your pastor? Let me just see it right there. All right, the rest of us right there. But it would be foolish for me to say, who do you want to be? I want to be a marathon runner. So what decisions, what actions are you taking today to become a marathon runner? Well, <laughs> Krispy Kremes, the, the light was on, so I stopped by. They were hot and fresh. And then... Did you know on 7-Eleven you get free Slurpees? And then we stopped by, we got free Slurpees. And what other decisions did you make? Well, my favorite show came out on Netflix. I binge-watched it 12 hours on my day off. I watched the whole thing. It was awesome. And so remind me again, Pastor Ryan, what, what kind of person did you want to become? Oh, I'm going to be a really in-shape marathon runner. That's what I'm going to become. Okay, so remind me again what decisions and what actions you're taking to become a marathon runner. Oh, I've been watching YouTube videos of people running marathons. Guess what? We all understand I'm not going to become a marathon runner if those are my daily decisions. And the same thing happens in our spiritual lives, in our marriages, in our homes, at work, in our, in our Christian walk. I'm going to be this, and you fill in the blank. I want God to use me greatly. I want to, I want to be somebody that makes a big impact for Christ. I, I want to be a, a godly uh, church member. I want to be a, a faithful friend. I want to be an encouraging employee. I want to be a hard worker. What daily actions and decisions are you making and taking to become that? You aren't going to accomplish what you say you want to accomplish. You're going to accomplish what you actually do day by day. Begin with the end in mind. I want to be a faithful, godly, committed Christian, but I invest nothing into my daily relationship with God and my spiritual development. I'm not going to become a faithful, godly, committed Christian. In week two, I gave you three points regarding Saul's good start from the beginning of his public life and leadership. I'm going to close this series out with these same exact three points. 
Before, I, it's the same three main points a year ago that I gave you in 1 Samuel 9 and 10. Three statements about Saul's good start. We were looking at it from Saul's start and where he was headed. Tonight, we've walked the journey with Saul for about a year, and we're going to look at these statements with some hindsight and some perspective of where Saul ended in disgrace, having killed himself on the battlefield with his sons somewhere nearby, dead in battle. I'm going to give us these three thoughts, and we'll be done with this series. Number one, I said over a year ago, a good start is good, a good finish is better. A good start is good, a good finish is better. We've been studying on Sunday mornings Saul of the New Testament, who became Paul. We've been studying on Sunday nights Saul of the Old Testament. Saul of the New Testament started out really, really bad, killing Christians, hating God, or, or at least hating, hating Christ. He thought he loved God. He thought he was doing it for God as a religious leader of the Pharisees. He started really, really, really bad, and he ended really, 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 really well. King Saul, Old Testament, started really, really, really good and ended really, really, really badly. If you have to choose to be Old Testament Saul or New Testament Saul, go ahead and let's be New Testament Saul. Maybe we didn't have a great start. Maybe we did, but the finish matters most. Number two. The second statement I gave you, a good start is no guarantee of a good finish. There are some in this room, and I've talked to you, and you said, man, I wish I had the start some of these young people have had. I wish I would have got saved at a younger age. I wish I would have gone to a Christian school or a Christian college. I, I wish I would have been taught the Bible in Sunday school at age five, six, and seven. That's not your story. And so this really isn't for you, but for those of you that have been given a good start, let me just say this. It's no guarantee of a good finish. Somewhere along the way, you have to make some personal decisions. You have to accept some personal responsibility that it has to be your choice. The God of your parents has to become your God. The decisions of holiness that your parents tried to model before you have to become your decisions of holiness. The, the attributes of Christian love and character that your parents have tried to live out or your godly mentors or whatever it might be, they have to become yours somewhere along the way. A good start is no guarantee of a good finish. And may I say the opposite, the inverse is true. A bad start is no guarantee of a bad finish. Your parents' mistakes do not destine you or doom you to a life of failure, just like your parents' successes do not destine you to a life of success. They can give us a head start and a good start, and I'm glad that they do, and we ought to bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition, but young people, kids, teenagers, younger people in your 20s, 30s, whatever it might be, somewhere along the way it has to become who you are if you're going to finish. Just because you started well doesn't guarantee anything. Just because you were saved as a child uh, or, or grew up in a good home or started your marriage with Christ at the center, it's a daily decision that you and I have to continually make if you're going to finish well. Have you ever heard of a pastor in his 40s that served God for decades that ended his ministry in disgrace? Yes or no? Sure. So guess what? That's a reminder to me. I've served God, my wife and I, to God's glory and by His grace for 21 years. Going on 22, six here in, in Orange County. Praise God for that. That's a, I hope that's a good start, but it's no guarantee I could throw it all away this week. You could be getting an announcement this week and somebody standing up with tears in their eyes making some announcement that I've, I've thrown it all away like King Saul did. 
Just because we've done well for a while, it's a daily. What did Paul say? Paul understood this. Paul began with the end in mind, and he said, I want to finish well. And what did Paul say? I die. How often? The Christian life is a daily life. We need daily bread. His mercies are new every morning. We, we, have to, we can't eat yesterday's manna, and we can't eat tomorrow's manna. We need daily manna. You and I have to make decisions. The songwriter said, once again, I faced Satan this morning, and I battled him all the day long. And then it says, and the sun's coming up in the morning. Every day is a new journey, a new battle, if you will. New opportunities, but also new battles, new struggles, new temptations. Paul said, I die daily. Paul also said this, not as though I had already attained. At this point, he's one of the most mightily used Christians in the history of the world. And he said, I haven't arrived. I haven't done anything. I haven't apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to sit there and say, look at all I've done. No, because I could throw it all away today. I think it's Paul that said, lest I should become a castaway. I realize a good start doesn't guarantee a good finish. I could throw it all away in my my 30s or my 40s or my 50s or my 60s, my 70s, my 80s. You know what guarantees a good finish? Finishing well. Being who God wants you to be the day He calls you home. I don't know where that's going to be, and I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if it'll be sudden or it'll be a long, drawn-out process. We don't get to control those things. Those are in His hands. But what we do get to control is who we are each and every day leading up to that day. Paul understood it. I die daily. Complacency and pride are the mortal enemies of faithful finishes. We get lifted up, and look at all that I've done. I, 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 I know the Bible. I've read through it 10, 20, 30 times. I've been going to church since I was a little kid. My dad was a pastor. My grandpa was a pastor. I, I know it in and out. I've taught Bible classes. I have a doctorate. Uh, whatever. Just go on and on. And if we're not careful, we'll get like Saul lifted up in pride. Pride and complacency are the mortal enemies of faithful finishes. Number three, and we're done. The last point I gave you a year ago in lesson, message number two in this series Toxic leaders can start well. Godly leaders finish well. Saul was a toxic leader, but he started well. Just because because somebody's going to turn out wrong doesn't mean that they always start wrong. They, They can start well and go bad, if you will. But godly leaders finish well. May God help us to be faithful unto death. May we, like Paul, be privileged to say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. So I read that part of it, and it's kind of like, wow, that's cool. Paul gets rewarded for finishing his course, finishing well. But you know what I like? I like the last phrase, the last part of that sentence. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know those that love is appearing are those that are living right when he appears. You heard me use the illustration. You know when we love the appearing of first responders, law enforcement, ambulance, EMT, when we are, when, when they're there to help us to, to do what we need, when we've called, somebody's breaking into our house. We love the appearing of, of an authority in those situations when we have nothing to hide and they're not a terror to us. You know when we don't like the appearing? of those lights behind us, 
when we haven't been living the way we should, when we're driving faster than we're supposed to, when we changed lanes, and as this week's, when I, I hate to confess my sins, but I looked down to see something on my phone, and a police officer pulled up right next to me, and I chucked my phone under my seat right there. I didn't love his appearing. <laughs> but you know, when I'm living right, I love his appearing. When the judge comes, I love their appearing. And I love that Paul said, it's not just some worldwide international apostle that gets rewarded for finishing well, not to me only, but to everyone, every believer that finishes well. Godly leaders finish well. Christian, my challenge to you this evening, give some thought to how you want to finish your journey. Kids, think about how you're behaving in class, kids. Is that who you want to be, the way that you treat your teachers and your fellow classmates? Teenagers, adults, begin with the end in mind. Starting college, begin with the end in mind. Starting a dating relationship, begin with the end in mind. Where do, where do we want to see this go, and what do we want this to look like if this is the relationship we're supposed to be in? We get married, and if we're to be married for decades together, where, how do we want to end this relationship? And we begin with the end in mind, and then we do the things daily that lead us to that destination with God's help and with godly principles. I don't know about you, but I'd like for words like these to characterize me when God calls me home. Joyful faithful, kind, generous, loving, humble, fruitful, godly, holy, happy, fun, honest, authentic, Christ-like. I could keep going. And if I had to take a poll, I'd imagine every one of us would say, yeah, those are the words I want to describe me when God calls me home. You know what words we probably none of us would say? You know what I hope people describe me as? Grumpy, selfish, jerk, unkind, dishonest, lazy. I don't think there's anybody that's just like, I really hope that's how I'm known. But have you ever been to a funeral where they're standing up and, the, and the, the, the words they're saying about the person, you kind of look at the bullets and like, did I come to the right funeral? <laughs> did you know the same guy I knew? Like, wait a second. You, I, I knew this guy too, and that didn't sound anything like the guy that I knew. And, and it's almost like the pastor feels like he's got to lie. He's got to come up with a whole bunch of, kind of read a story, a book about some good person to find out these stories, right? Because can't find anything good. And I've been to one or two of those in my day where it was kind of like, oh, I'm not so, not so sure that's exactly how we're all going to remember the, uh, Horace here. I don't know that that's, that's what we're going to remember about him. But here's the reality. I can say I want to be remembered as godly and kind, and generous, and loving, and merciful. But if that's not how I'm living day by day, that's not how I'm going to die. You and I have a choice. Saul had a choice. He, he died in disgrace. You and I can choose, will we die with the grace of God, or will we die in disgrace? Will we finish our course with joy or with deep shame and regret? Will we leave this earth filled with love or with bitterness? Will we hear, well done, or woe unto you, unprofitable servant? Seemingly little decisions led to Saul's great disgrace. In your life and in mine, just like we talk, these messages really go hand in hand. 
Because sometimes we say, when I get there, then I'll start living that way. Don't put it off, the message from this morning. One of these days is none of these days. I want to be a faithful, hardworking, dependable, reliable, loving, kind, joyful believer. I want to, I want to be known for kindness and, and acts of service. I want to be known for worship and praise. I want the joy of the Lord to come out, and I'll get started on it, whatever age you are, 10 years from now. No, if, if that's who you're going to be, it needs to start now. You know that teenagers can be joyful, generous, kind, friendly, godly. You don't have to wait till you're 30, 40, 50. You know that college students can be holy, righteous, dependable, hardworking, reliable. You know, there's no magic age where you just become this. You will be, and I will be, who we have been becoming. Saul, man, he started so good. What a sad chapter, verse, chapter 31. He died in disgrace. I don't know about you, but I don't want that to be my story, and it very well could be. What will determine that is what I do when I wake up tomorrow. How you treat your siblings when you wake up tomorrow. How you obey your parents when you wake up tomorrow. How you treat your spouse when you wake up tomorrow. The time you spend with God when you wake up tomorrow. If you can be counted on to be where you're supposed to be when you wake up tomorrow. Do the work you were given to do and your homework, whatever, all the different roles of life. Our daily decisions will lead to who we are and who we will be. Let's follow Paul, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before. Let's press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.